It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. And a lot of good stuff coming up on today's show. Bobby Nightingale from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little bit to talk twins. He's down in Florida, of course, for spring training. Spring game started in just like three days. They play the, the twins play the Gophers, I think, and then Pittsburgh right after that this weekend. So they are getting on the field soon. Byron Buxton sounds optimistic. Stop me if you've heard that before, but it sounds like a little bit more like fact-based optimism than just um, you know just optimism for the sake of hey we got to try something new this year. So we'll see how far that gets them this year. But Bobby and I will talk about that a lot more here in just a little bit. Minnesota United closing in on their next head coach. Sounds like the youngest coach in Major League Soccer by quite some stretch. Timberwolves news, um, signing an extension with Mike Conley Jr., their their point guard, for two more years. That's interesting to me, so I'll get to that in a minute. First, though, what I miss, got to start with the Wild. It's a no-brainer, even though I had some friends this morning jokingly text me already saying that I'm going to lead with the Wolves today because I always love to talk about the Wolves. Not even I could do that. I had an editor um, many, many years ago when I was first starting out in this business, I came back from an assignment breathlessly and I was like, I've got great stuff. Um, you know, I've got all this material, like the story will practically write itself. And he sarcastically said to me, well, having the story write itself will be better than having you write it. Uh, but love that line. That line is stuck with me. He didn't really mean it. It was just a good line. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I was learning still at that time. And so I had some, had some work to do to polish around the edges, but you know, I teach it. I teach a journalism class at the, at the U of M in addition to working at the Star Tribune. It's just kind of a, a fun adjunct job. I teach it once a once a year. It's just a spring semester class. And one thing I always tell my students is you need to, you know, you need to obviously be always be looking for the best story, but sometimes you just need to get out of the way. Sometimes the, the story will be so obvious to you that you, you just you know exactly what to do. You just just tell me the facts, tell me everything that happened because the facts themselves, everything that happened, um, does not demand you to just to, to just write it in a certain way. Just just tell me everything that happened. That's exciting enough. And that is what feels like happened in this wild game on Monday. They beat Vancouver ten to seven. Ten to seven. Monday afternoon, it's a matinee game. Weird, wonderful, wild, no pun intended game where they're trailing five to two late in the third, late in the second period. And then Matt Zuccarello gets a power play goal. And you're like, okay, five three gives them a chance going into the third period. But still, they're playing Vancouver. Vancouver's the best team, points wise at least, in the entire NHL. They have 80 points. No team has more points than Vancouver this year. So you're like, okay, Vancouver, you know, high-scoring offense, probably going to put them away in the third period. Nice try, Wild. You're trying to get back in the playoff race, but uh, but this is where it ends. But bam, right away in the third period, Joel Eriksson, power play goal is 29 seconds, and it's all of a sudden it's 5-4. You're like, okay, this is getting interesting. You barely have time to digest that goal. Kaprizov scores in the power play. Now the game is tied at 123 of the third period. You're like, hey, great. 19, no, 21 seconds later, Erickson Neck again on the power play. Now the Wild have the lead. Three minutes later, Marco Rossi scores. 24 seconds after that, Kaprizov again. Suddenly a 5-2 deficit in a matter of like six on-ice minutes has gone from a 5-2 deficit to an 8-5 lead. Now the craziness wasn't done. Vancouver rallied. They got two in the next like, you know, 10-12 minutes to get it to 8-7, but the Wild get two empty net goals at the end, including Kaprizov with like two seconds left to cap his hat trick. 
Kaprizov has a hat trick. Uh, Eriksenek has a hat trick. Both of them have three goals and three assists. Feels like one of those games where big big offensive game in baseball where someone gets like eight RBIs out of nowhere so the team wins like 17 to 4 and all of a sudden their stats look that much better like Kaprizov's got 23 goals now Eric Snek has 28 goals this season like all of a sudden you have one of these monster games and it like accounts for scoring for like a week that I mean the Wild scored 10 goals in this game they've gone like you know, 10 days without scoring that many goals sometimes this year. Um, just a crazy, crazy game, um, especially when you consider this. I, I, was, I was trying to, like, figure out how to best define how crazy this game was. And I was thinking about it. It's like the the Vikings won a game 3 to nothing earlier this year. 3 to nothing. That was actually their last win this year, by the way, in case you forgot that. 3 nothing win in Vegas. That was their last win of the season as they kind of fell apart down the stretch. The Wild just scored... Had 14 more points. Let's just call them points. Everything being equal. 14 more points. 17 total points in this game. Three in that game. And you only get one per goal, right? You only get, it only marks one in football. You get three for a field goal, you know, seven for a touchdown and an extra point. If this was football and these were all touchdowns, the final score would be 70 to 49. I mean, just think about that. This would have been a, a, this is a crazy, crazy game. 10 to 7. Didn't even need an overturned punt return from Iowa to win this game 10-7. It's just like, it's an amazing final score. Um, it's an amazing performance. Sounds like the Wild, you know, feeling good about themselves right now. Don't have a whole lot of time to savor this one because they've got the Jets right away again today. Um, could be an emotional game. A lot of a lot of history with the Jets. That's where Kaprizov was hurt last year. Really hurt them down the stretch. He wasn't the same the rest of the year and into the playoffs, even when he came back healthy. So not a lot of time to enjoy this one as they're still pushing for that playoff spot. But man, 10-7. to You will not see a game like this. I don't know when the next time you'll see a game like this is, so you do have to savor it to some degree. And now, yes, we will talk Wolves for a few minutes. Signing Mike Conley Jr. to a two-year extension interesting move. I like it on its face. I mean, this is a guy who's been great for them ever since he came over in the trade uh, at the deadline last year. It's been such a good fit. A great trade, by the way. Uh, I think I'm going to write about this more today. But Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker coming over along with like three second-round picks for D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, Russell's been good for the Lakers in a lot of stretches. He's on a heater right now. Like, that seemed like it helped the Lakers, certainly helped the Wolves, though. Like, both both those players have been, you know, you've got a starter and a rotation guy and a lot of, you know, draft capital out of it. The thing with Conley is you looked at it and you're like, okay, uh, he came into this year on an expiring contract. The Wolves are going to have some salary cap crunches into next, you know, in the next year for sure once. Ant's big contract starts once uh, Town Supermax kicks in. You got Gobert still in the books. You signed uh, Jaden McDaniels to a big contract this offseason. You've got a lot of things going on, and you're like, okay, well, Conley's an expiring. Is that where you kind of make up the make up the difference? But then Conley's been so good this year. The extension they signed him to, uh, Chris Hine reporting, two years, a little under $21 million total. That's less than he's making right now, kind of reflective of kind of the stage of his career that he's at. He's such a good fit. Like, it's, it's a bargain relatively for point guard stability. So in that case, in that regard, you've solved your issue at point guard, right? Like, if, if you treated Conley like an expiring contract, you wouldn't have a point guard next year, which is a problem, right? But now you have this issue where you now you've got an extra, you know, $10, $12 million on the books for next year. How do you account for that now that you have all these other contracts kicking in? So still feels like something has to give or this team goes on a big playoff run 
and or they decide that this team is worth building around. They go into the luxury tax, things like that. So there's possibilities, different options for next year based on where they're at. But interesting to me that they decided to do this so soon. Almost had to, though, just in terms of how this how this all fits together. Like, you're not going to be able to draft a point guard, I wouldn't think, at least not someone who so seamlessly fits in, and you wouldn't get a point guard who fits as well as Conley for the price. So it makes sense. The only thing about it that doesn't make sense to a certain degree is where they sit with the salary cap going into the next year and how this will all fit together once everything is said and done. But in terms of on the court, Conley's been amazing. Uh, Tim Conley's had a great run here of, of good, shrewd moves. Um, you got to like where they're at right now with all the stuff they've been doing. Um, so yeah, it's just worrying about the future. That'll take care of itself, I guess. There's ways to get around it. You can get out of that box when you need to. But having Conley in the fold for the next two years after this feels like it adds some stability, even if it will make their contract situation after this season a little bit more tricky with some of those other guys. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's bring in Bobby Nightingale from the Star Tribune right now. He is down in Florida in Fort Myers covering your first spring training, I guess. Wouldn't this be Bobby? Yeah, first one in Florida. Had five years in Arizona, and now first one getting to see the Florida traffic. Haven't had to do the Florida road trips that uh, that I've heard about the two hour drives, but I'm sure that uh, that's kind of around the corner. There is a legend of Florida man. Have you run into any Florida man candidates down there so far? Not yet, but one of the restaurants we went to uh, is like a, a Snoop Dogg figurine that they have okay. kind of by the host stand and apparently it got stolen uh, and returned. So that <laughs> was kind of the first, you know, the first introduction to a Florida restaurant. Welcome to Florida moment for you. Um, well, you're down there covering the twins, of course. You joined the beat kind of midstream last year, getting a chance at a full year right now and some interesting storylines kind of already so far the twins will start playing you know preseason games exhibition games in just a few days here they play the gophers on friday right and then the pirates on saturday and sounds like we're gonna see byron buxton in center field sounds like all systems go at this point yeah and uh, you know obviously that's probably the talk every year is he's feeling better in center and you know hopes to play center but it, it it does seem legitimate um seen him run around i haven't seen him take fly balls yet that's the next step he admitted he's kind of nervous for it just hasn't really done it uh very much in the past year and a half um you know hasn't played center field in a major league game since august 2022 so uh been quite a while but Rocco baldelli said first week of spring games um, you know, he's being eased in just a little bit just to make sure everything's all systems go. But first week of spring training games, he's going to start in center field, um, which is a big step because, you know, last spring he was the DH at this time. And, um, you know, the kind of the goal was eventually he's going to be able to play center. And um, that never happened. Whereas, you know, from the get go, they're saying he's going to play center. And, um, you know, this is probably as upbeat as, I, you know, I've only been on the beat for half a season and an off season, but most upbeat I've seen Byron Buxton and a lot of veteran beat writers, Phil Miller and other guys um, say, you know, this is kind of what he was years ago. 
Um, you know, the pain in his knees gone. He called it, he said it was kind of like waking up with a knife in his knee um, every morning is what last year was like. And um, going through that experience, he was happy he uh, survived a season with it, happy he tried to play because he got to be a part of a playoff team. Um, but with the pain gone, you know, a happier guy, you can tell he has center field in his sights. Um, and he's excited to play there. Um, just felt like he was too young to be a full-time DH. So, um, and for the twins, I mean, obviously that's game changing potential if his defense is there. Remind me of, I mean, it didn't seem like the procedure he had was all that major. If he, if he can kind of come back right away and, and be on the field again, it, it's, it seems like something small that made, that might've made a significant difference. Yeah, it sounded like uh, I'm trying to think of the specific term, like the plica or placa, um, okay. part of a knee. But it's, I think it's just a major irritant because I've seen other people um, when Byron Buxton talked about after having the surgery, how he felt. I've seen other people on social media say I had the same procedure and that's exactly how I would describe it. Um, so I think that's just one of those. Um, not, not, it wasn't a major knee surgery. It was almost like art, arthroscopic in nature, but um, one that just kind of got rid of the pain that he had been feeling and um the one that cost him playing center field all of last year. Well, you mentioned, I mean, big deal if he can be healthy for for himself, obviously for the kind of arc of his career, but also the Twins. Like, it feels like, again, that's been a storyline for so many different springs, but if he is healthy, like, you forget about last year. Like, they did everything they did without a healthy Byron Buxton, with with him, you know, DHing and not being 100% effective. And, you know, by the, by the end of the year, he was, you know, down close to 200 batting average wise. I know he had he carried them at certain points of the season offensively with his power, but you know, you'd had a, a season where Carlos Correa wasn't at his best. You know, he started to see some of his best in the postseason. You didn't get a full year out of Royce Lewis. Like that's got to be a lot of their optimism right now, right? It's not just, you know, it's not so much what they've added. They've certainly subtracted from the pitching staff, but what they could add just internally from those three guys and beyond that is is probably is where a lot of this optimism they have has to be coming from. Definitely. I think it's one of those, you look at what the offense did, especially in the second half, and you're like, you know, half of that time, Royce Lewis was healthy. The other half, he wasn't. Byron Buxton wasn't healthy at all during that time. Carlos Correa was, um, you know, having the worst offensive season of his career. So it's like, if those three guys, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any, anyone saying that Byron Buxton's going to play 150 plus games. Um but just a hundred games and 80 of those in center field would go a huge way um, in, in terms of what the offense could do. Carlos Correa changed his swing and um, hitting coach David Popkins said he was hitting balls over the batter's eye. And he's like, I, I've never seen that working with him the last two years. So, um, you know, I, th I think there's a lot of excitement in terms of that, in terms of their best players are healthy um, offensive position players are healthy. So, I mean, if, if those guys can stay healthy, which is always a question for every team, um, but those guys have a track record, I think of not, not so much Royce Lewis, but um, Carlos Correa has been a guy who's been top five in the MVP votes. Baron Buxton, when he's healthy, um, certainly could be an MVP candidate um, if, if he could do that for an entire season. So I, I, I think there's, if you subtract the pitching staff, if that takes a small step back, which there's opti optimism that they won't have to take a major step back. Um, but if they do, the offense is the one that's going to be the one that's going to be asked to carry more, and they're confident it will. Now, Correa altered his swing somewhat last year away from what had been successful for him, but a lot of that was to compensate for the pain, right? Yeah, that was the, the main thing. I talked to David Popkins, and he said basically made it sound like 
Um, he's a guy who likes to be on, you know, weight distributed evenly in his feet um, and standing up tall. But the pain was kind of forcing him to be more on his toes, leaning forward. Um, and he couldn't stand up as tall. And it was almost like, you know, it, it's just a human body. I mean, you don't want to be in painful positions while standing up there, getting ready to swing. Um, and he, he grinded through the entire season. You have to give him credit for that. But um, you can tell he's in a bunch better mood. It's almost like the way he talks is all, all really matter of fact in terms of like, I'm going to have a better year. I'm going to, I changed my swing and it's going to work. And um, um, so far so good. I mean, and I know it's early in camp, sub spring training games to do it, but he said it's a swing that he's had in the past in Houston and um, a lot more direct to the ball, a lot more compact, more simple. Um, and he just says, expect more line drives and, um, you know, expect him to hit the ball harder. You mentioned the pitching staff. I saw you wrote recently about Joe Ryan. He's a guy that I'm pretty interested in right now because feels like, again, that's a possibility for them to take a step forward or they need him to take another more consistent step forward if uh, if they're going to if they're going to succeed this year. Where, where do you see him kind of fitting in? What's his where, where's he at right now? I mean, I think if he's at his best, he's your number two starter right after Pablo Lopez. Um, you know, you see what he did in the first half. He was one of the best pitchers in baseball. His ERA was below two and a half. Um, so there, there was a lot of excitement about what he did, especially in the first half. Obviously, it kind of fell off a cliff for him uh, performance-wise. He kind of tried to pitch through an injury, didn't tell the team about it for a month um, as his performance suffered. And then when he came back, he really wasn't the same guy. Um, and, he, you know, he, he admits it was a learning lesson, um, you know, has things to communicate in the future. Um, but he did a lot of work in the offseason about just trying to make sure his body's better, his routine um, isn't so beholden to one strict routine. He's allowed to change himself a little bit more. Um, and he's confident. I mean, he, he's shown, uh, you know, I asked him, like, well, Sonny Gray gone, do you feel like you have to do more? And he goes, well, in the first half, I, I did exactly, you know, what more could they want from me? And so I, th I think that's kind of the exciting thing for him and the Twins is just um, to say, okay, if he's just, he just has to be what he did in the first half and do that consistently for a full season. Um, obviously easier said than done, but um, I, I think it's exciting that he's already kind of shown he can prove it uh, for months at a stretch compared to like, say like a Louis Varlin who you're hoping takes the next step. Um, Joe Ryan's already taken that step. It's just a matter of being more consistent. Where do we think Louis winds up? Speaking of Louis, kind of this is a good transition to starter bullpen. I want to talk bullpen here in a bit, but like, is he slated for, back end of the rotation or eighth inning or where do you think he's headed? I think right now rotation depth. I mean, it, you, I feel like they got fortunate last year. They only needed really eight starters. Um, and, and there are some teams that need, you know, 10 to 15 starters to get through an entire season. So I don't think they want to give up that starting depth off the bat. There's always the option like mid season, if things are going extremely well, if the depth is, um, you know, everyone's healthy, everyone's holding up, then you can move them to the bullpen and he's shown he can have success there. So I almost feel like the, it's like, okay, let him start, give him that challenge, um, see where he can take it. Because if he takes the next step as a starter and, you know, everything panned out there, you'd rather have him starting than a than a bullpen guy. But um, you, that's always there to fall back on. And I feel like that's the way they're approaching it is saying, um, you know, if, if, if things work out midsummer, you can always adjust that plan. You, know, you kind of know what you have for him in the bullpen. Right now, let's find out what you have in him as a starter. I suppose some of that, too, could depend on what the rest of the bullpen looks like. And they've got a lot of candidates. They added some arms, um, kind of a flurry of arms in, you know, January, early February. That's maybe one of the that's maybe those are maybe the jobs that are up for grabs or maybe some of the things that we don't know about yet. Right. As, as camp unfolds, like how are these guys going to look? Who might win? You know, kind of that those fifth, sixth, seventh spots in the bullpen. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, you still have your core, um, you know, Duran, um, Griffin Jacks, Caleb Thielbar, Brock Stewart. That's probably your core four. Um, Justin Topa was kind of a back-end guy for the Mariners. He was involved in the Jorge Polanco trade. Wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, he was he was another alternate for that. Um, and then you kind of have kind of the the bunch they added, Josh Daumont from the Royals. Um, when he's really good, he's throwing 100 miles an hour, and um, he showed in the division how good he could be a few years ago uh, before injuries got to him. Jay Jackson, they signed to a one-year deal. They're excited about what he kind of provides. Um, he had a good year last year, kind of like I think it was a 2.12 ERA in 20-some appearances, more of a middle reliever, um, but someone they you don't sign those guys to a one-year guaranteed contract if you don't think they can contribute. Um, Steven Okert, they got in the Nick Gordon trade. He's out of options. Um, so right now he's slated for the bullpen. Um, otherwise, he has to go through waivers uh, to stay in the organization. So they, they have options. I, th- I think that was kind of the one thing they wanted to, to do. Um, obviously, there's injuries every camp, especially relievers. Uh, but I, I, I feel like there's more depth. I mean, you look at projections. Um, you know, they're slated to be one of the top bullpens in the American League. And, um, you know, if, if the starting rotation takes a step back, that means more innings for the bullpen. And I feel like they they, they they feel like they have more weapons there. Is that kind of their philosophy right now? The organizational bullpen philosophy is, you know, you got to have some things you can count on, but they're going to maybe, you know, roll the dice and kind of see out of a, a bunch of candidates, you know, lower cost candidates who can who can make the team. I mean, they've had success with the guys like Brock Stewart. Um, you know, when it works, it works to great effect. Yeah, I think I think they they view it as if you can't keep everyone, that's okay too. Um, you know, to, to just take the best group. I mean, I remember um, wasn't coming to the Twins last spring, but the names they had. I mean, you look at like Trevor McGill ended up going to the Brewers, and I, th- I think he stayed up the entire season for them. They had Jeff Hoffman as a non-roster guy, and he ended up being uh, like a eighth inning guy for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, so I, I think they view it as. Too much depth in spring is a good thing because it protects you against injuries and you still get your choice of them at the end of camp uh, when those tough decisions have to be made. You talked a little bit about um, projections right now for some of these guys and for overall projections, you look at fan graphs, they're pretty pretty high on the twins. Now, some of that is relative to what else is in the the AL Central. I, know, I think they've maybe got the twins at like 85 wins and the win totals aren't so important so much as kind of where everybody sorts out, but they've got them, you know, four or five games clear of anybody else in the division. Kind of like we saw a lot of last year. Um, Is that kind of their mentality right now that they feel like this is their, this is their division still, this is their time to to kind of take another step there and, and, and kind of hold on to this thing for another year. Absolutely. I mean, I think you talking to players, I think it's almost just like, we got a taste of the postseason last year. Now it's time to take that next step. I mean, it's one of those, I, I feel like it's more talked about in the NBA, but you have to learn how to win um, to take that next step. And they feel like, okay, we we took that first step. We got a taste of it. We won a playoff series, got that monkey off our back. Now it's a chance to, um, you know, use that experience in a better way um, and, and take, you know, go around further at least. So, um, yeah, I think expectations are higher. I think they expect to win the division, definitely. Um, and then they feel like, you know, the core of the roster is still there. I mean, you we've mentioned the big three with uh, Buxton, Correa, and Lewis. But, I mean, you look at the young guys, too, like Edward Julian um, could take another step forward. Matt Walner, um, Alex Kirloff showed some good things last year. So, I mean, I, th- I think they look at it as they have a good mix of young guys, good mix of veterans, um, all with playoff experience. And, and they think no reason to um, they shouldn't be better than they were last year. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. 
Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. And they signed a veteran, Carlos Santana. Now he might eat into the at-bats of various people. And one guy you mentioned before we started recording that I had frankly not completely forgotten about, but a guy that was kind of off my radar because he he missed so much time last year, Jose Miranda. Where do you think he fits in this year? He sounds like he's still kind of coming back from whatever's ailing him, but he was like he was a guy they had penciled in at third base based on how well he hit in 2022 as a rookie. Where do you think he is right now, and how much could he potentially help them if he's healthy? Yeah, I think right now he's probably on the outside of the bubble looking in. Um, yeah, he dealt with a shoulder injury in spring training last year, and it you know it derailed his entire season. Um, probably affected his swing, definitely affected his throwing. Um, he's not throwing right now in camp, um, so kind of a first base slash DH right now. Beginning of spring training games, Rocco Baldelli said he's just going to be a DH only. Um, yeah, I mean he's the he's the downside of all the young guys. I mean he, you probably felt as good about him as you felt about like Edward Julian going into this year. Um, thinking to be the cornerstone, if not at third base, that he'd just flip over to first base. But no matter what, he'd keep hitting. Um, and then when his hitting dried up, that you know took away some some opportunities for him. I think Carlos Santana fills the same role he does. I mean Carlos Santana crushes uh, left-handed pitching, so he's going to start against lefties. Um, and Carlos Santana plays close to Gold Glove defense. Um, so there's at bats at DH, especially if Byron Buxton um, can play regularly in center field. But um, I, I think they will add a right-handed hitter at some point in spring training, kind of, especially an outfielder. Um, there was one that you know Matt Walner didn't really start against left-handed pitching last year, um, and they don't really have that for the outfield. Maybe Willie Castro, um, but they they don't have like a specific starter for that um, starting against lefties in the outfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if they added that. Um, which would make Jose Miranda more of a candidate to start the year in AAA. Um, but he's good depth for first base. I mean, if Alex Kirloff has an injury, if Carlos Santana um, isn't performing up to what he has done in the past, you do have Jose Miranda, and the upside's there, um, but he has to prove he's healthy. You mentioned maybe going out and getting another right-handed bat, maybe one that can play at the outfield. Is that kind of the last, the last, not to say huge move, but the last like significant move that could impact the 25-man roster that you still think is yet to come, or is there, is there anything else that you could see happening, you know, between now and opening day? I think there's a possibility they add a starting pitcher. Um, you, you can never have too much starting pitching depth, and there's just frankly a lot of free agents still out there. Um, ones that you know, like you look at like the free agent market, like not even the Blake Snells and the Jordan Montgomerys, but, you know, like Michael Lorenzen um, was an all-star last year and is kind of in that middle tier starting pitcher. Um, so I, I, I do think they have some, not a ton of money to, to work around after they got the TV deal done. And, um, you know, you, their payroll is a little bit lower than it was when they had Jorge Polanco after that trade and, um, you know, losing some guys during the offseason. So I, I, I do think there's not a ton of money, but some money to spend in terms of um, adding to the roster. I think right-handed outfielder is the one they, they definitely want to do. Um, just that market really hasn't changed, you know, whether that's um, Michael A. Taylor coming back or Adam Duvall or Tommy Pham. Um, you know, there's, there's some options there that haven't made decisions yet, but um, I, I, I see the Twins trying on one-year deals to, to get a couple things done um, that, that could affect the 26-man roster. A lot of uh, a lot of a lot of uh, twenty six man. Thanks for correcting me on twenty five. It used to be twenty five. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's uh you know a lot of free agents still out there much to commissioner rob manfred's chagrin that was one thing he talked about the other day right was in addition to the kind of this push for for tv in the future like hey we want to have this kind of like hot stove concentrated time in december maybe bleeding into january where all the action is happening and it just isn't happening now because teams realize that recognize the value of you know cheaper contracts things like that and there's just the the market has just changed from what it used to be yeah, I mean, I think partially it's a, it was a worse free agent market. I mean, you had Otani and um, Yamamoto from Japan that kind of the top guys that they really got paid. Um, but I, I don't think there was the middle tier that was as strong as maybe a couple years ago. I mean, even last year, you look at like Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogart, Dansby Swanson. I mean, there, were, there was a lot of options at shortstop and other positions. Um, Cody Bellinger was a free agent last year. So I, I felt like there was more options there. Um, yeah, Rob Manfred suggested, you know, trying to set some sort of deadline and trying to make it more like the NFL and NBA where you have that frenzy. But the problem with MLB is you don't have a salary cap. So, um, you know, you, you can force movement in those, those sports because there's only a limited amount of dollars that go around. And, um, you know, if a team doesn't have enough salary cap to sign you, you know, you have to move on where baseball, it, it feels like it keeps changing. I mean, TV deals, um, you know, you look at like the Rangers and the guardians, they thought they were going to lose their TV deals. They ended up getting into the, uh, keeping it at a reduced rate. So, um, you know, that affected their plans. So, um, you know, it, it seems like it's always a moving target. You wish, you wish rosters were more set in for spring training just to get fans a little bit more excited. I mean, um, you know, some fan base is going to be excited when they get Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger and Jordan Montgomery during spring training. But um, you, you wish it was a little bit more set just for the sport. Just, I mean, they're, they're too good at players not to be signed somewhere. Very true. Final thing for you, Bobby, like I said, they play, in just a few days here, anything in particular you're looking forward to seeing? Just, you know, we've been talking about things for months. You've been seeing things, you know, off to the side for weeks now. Anything you're looking forward to once the spring games actually start? Uh, but I mean, Byron Buxton in center field, that'll be the big one we're all watching just just because he didn't do it at all last year. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, the the top pitchers too. I mean, Pablo Lopez, he's worked on a few things um, during the offseason. He wants to be able to throw his, uh, his sweepy slider a little bit uh better than he did last year and he talked about it you know it was a new pitch for him last year it kind of changed his career um but he was kind of like i learned it in spring training last year and kind of just survived the season he's like now i had a whole off season to work on what i actually want to do with it so um him taking another step could be exciting uh joan duran was throwing 101 in his first live batting practice session um in mid-february um, and so that'll tick up as the season progresses. So excited to see where his progress is too. I mean, easy to forget how good he was in his first full season as a closer. Um, now it's a chance for him to see if he can take a next step in terms of being, you know, one of the elite closers in the game. Now, do we need to start putting like restrictor plates on these pitchers, like they do in NASCAR, so they can't throw like so they can't get up to like one ten, one fifteen? It feels like it's unfair at a certain point. You you would think there's like a limit coming at some point. Like I remember when Araldis Chapman started doing it, and it's like, okay, how much higher can we go? And still ticking up. Um, guys somehow keep finding a way to squeeze out an extra mile an hour. Um, wouldn't want to be a hitter anymore these days. No, maybe they got to move the mound back at some point. They're talking about that, I guess. But we will see. Probably not not going to happen this year anyway. There's plenty of uh, plenty of other stuff to look forward to though. Follow Bobby Nightingale's coverage. Start Tribune. Start Tribune.com. And Bobby, I'm sure we'll check in again soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Bobby as usual. And I'll put a plug in for our colleague, Phil Miller. Enjoyed his story on relief pitcher Jeff Brigham, um, former 
teammate of Pablo Lopez, a minor league teammate of Pablo Lopez, the Twins ace. Um, guy trying to make the Twins, uh, got a non, you know, non-guaranteed spring contract, but he's had some success in the past trying to reinvent himself. Now that his velocity is a little bit down after some some uh, injury problems, but Phil's story is just really fascinating. Just to look at what the Twins did to help Pablo Lopez, how they convinced Brigham to come here, how they feel like they can show him some things that will help him. Just the whole process. It was an interesting look behind behind the scenes of how these things kind of come together. How a guy decides where to go when he doesn't have a guaranteed deal, things like that. Go read that story because I learned a lot from that story, both on what the Twins do, how other players view the Twins, things like that. So go check that out. Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Let's finish with the cooler. There'll be more on this, I believe, on Wednesday show. Expecting to have Lavelle E. Neal third Star Tribune columnist, on with me. We'll talk about this more. But Minnesota United closing in on just their second head coach in their eight-year history. Sounds like they are targeting Manchester United assistant coach Eric Ramsey. 32 years old would be by far the youngest head coach in Major League Soccer. Jerry Zagoda's reporting in the Star Tribune saying that the deal's not done, but Ramsey is the leading candidate, and uh, sounds like they're closing in on him, so I imagine that will be happening sometime soon. Regular season starts in just a few days. Imagine that their their interim coach is still going to be leading things during during that game Saturday at Austin, Cameron Knowles, but they need to get this done. At some point, they need to get this done. Probably good to get this at least settled if they can before the season starts, get things going. You know, maybe Knowles takes the first two or three games while things get up to speed. But an interesting hire, someone coming over from, you know, from the Premier League, an assistant coach from the Premier League, no real ties to Major League Soccer, but he's definitely got some things going for him. Um, interesting decision. He'll be like, he'll be younger than, you know, three or four players on the Loons. And just an interesting hire all around. I'll have to. We'll have to find out more about it. Um, we'll have to find out exactly what they what they plan to what he plans to do, like attack wise, things like that. But he's seven years younger. Ramsey's seven years younger than MLS's next youngest head coach. Uh, that's uh, Nick Cushing from New York City FC. He's thirty nine. So interesting. Going from Adrian Heath, who's sixty three right now, to a coach basically half his age, should be a different tactic, different style. That will be interesting to see how that works out for the Loons this season. Like I said, Lavelle Enil III and I will talk more about that and other things on Wednesday's show. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow.